coming in, so that'll, that'll be a good thing. Uh, one, if um, uh, some of you are maybe kind of curious what I, what I do uh, like when I'm not up at a camp speaking. So I teach at a university. Uh, I, I'm an associate uh, facilitator for Dana Wesleyan University. I also run a podcast. So uh, over there on the table, I've got uh, cards for our podcast. It's called Rethink Mission. And if you like some of the stuff that we've been doing this week, it's like that on steroids. So um, it's an hour-long conversation um, about missions stuff. And so we do projects. And so we're in, a, we're in the middle of our, uh, our current project right now is Jesus and Mission. So we're talking about early Christianity, early, uh, the early first century time frame. And we're talking about a lot of cultural stuff. Uh, actually, stuff that we're going to talk about today um, is like, that's what it's like if you listen to the podcast. So um, if that's interesting to you, the, the cards are right over there. If it's not, pretend that it's interesting to you. Walk past and like let your hand gradually kind of go over those, but you don't have to pick them up. Just, you know, make me feel good about myself that I'm actually got people who are like, oh, Mike, we love this stuff. Please give me more. So that would be, that would be helpful. I think Steve actually has listened to it. What? Right, I do. I've counted them all. See, Steve can tell you, right? right you've listened to a, Steve listened to a couple of them. How would you describe it? Not quite a college course in a podcast, but it's close. So if that's interesting to you, you can do it. Number two, I'm going to tell you a story about how the military does paintball. Because that'll give you, because when, when you were saying that today, you were talking about um, doing, they're doing paintball this afternoon, right? And so you have to be mentally mature enough to handle getting shot. The military does do their version of paintball. They actually get you uh, an... Uh, uh, M16 or M4, and uh, they uh, they actually give you what's called simulation rounds or simunitions. Anyone heard of simunitions? Yeah. Oh, good. So then you know exactly what we're talking about. They are gunpowder-propelled paintballs. So, you know, what we do right now is um, air-propelled paintballs that are like a couple hundred, like one or 200 PSI. Yeah, they, they, they shoot it at you like four or 500 PSI. So with 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 that, and so and they'll and they'll reach out and touch you at like fifty to a hundred meters, right? Like after that, it dies off. But like they'll reach out and touch you. So when you get shot with simunitions, like you know it. So what's really fascinating is when you when you're when you're playing that kind of paintball, you can actually feel your anxiety level go up because when you get hit, it doesn't just go ah ha ha, I'm hit. No, it's like I'm going to get a welt. So it actually, it actually generates a lot more realism because you're like, I'm not going to hide behind this little plant that has like four little sprongs because I know I'm going to get hit. So, um, yeah, that's how the military does paintball, which is uh, uh, they, they had us doing house clearings. And so they have bad, guy, bad guys in the house, and then you go in and you have to you do a four-man stack, and you do a serpentine run through the house and clear right, clear left, clear up, clear down. I'll tell you what the scary part is is when you're going up a stairwell, that's a frightening thing. That's uh, what they call the fatal funnel. So you, 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 you're fine when you're at the corner, but when you're ready to go up the stairs, right? 
Like, there's nothing. So you, you're, you're going up the stairs, and if the guy peeks out and decides to take some shots at you, yeah, like that's some real, you get the panic in the throat a little bit. It gives you a little flavor. It's good stuff. They do make it look easy on TV. But the, and, and this is also why, I mean, this is, this is a freebie. I'm going to give you guys, this is totally free. It has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. This is why when you hear people talk about, well, why didn't they shoot him to wound him? Or why didn't they shoot him in the leg or, or, or you know, disable him? You ever heard people talk like that? Okay, you're lucky he got shot at all. Because what you're getting is your body is jacked up on adrenaline. And adrenaline does this to you. That's what, you're, that's what you're, you're shooting with. And it's not because you're, you're scared. You're just hyped up on adrenaline. Okay? And this is also why you'll put seven, eight rounds into a person. That's exactly, yeah. You get that adrenaline rush. And so you've, you've, you've got to learn how to deal with that. So that's why when people talk about why didn't they shoot to wound him, I'm like, you have no idea. Like, you have no clue. Right. Center mass, and you, and you don't stop until the guy's on the ground. Which sounds awful and mean, but it's because... That's what reality is. You don't shoot a guy in the leg because you know what he'll do. He'll shoot you back. <laughs> I said, down, down, bang, in the legs. What? Bang, I'm going to shoot you back. It's not like the movies where they go, ah, and they drop. Their adrenaline's up too. Did you know that? Their adrenaline's up. And you know what happens when their adrenaline's up? They keep going. So, some of that can, but uh, those things are not actually guaranteed. Uh, it'll stop a 7.62 round, but it, it won't stop some of the heavier rounds. So it's, and especially this, like, you know, right here, that doesn't stop a 5.56 five, or 7.62 round. So anyway, all that for free. You're welcome. You're welcome. Take that to your grandkids and say, I know all about your paintball thing. Oh, yeah, going to pay, going to pay. That's exactly right. All right. So um, anyway, those are my two freebies for the morning. We're going to be in um, Philippians, and then we're going to be in Acts. So I'll let you guys get there. We're going to start in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be in Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Do we remember the Philippians verse that we started off with this week? Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Nope. We, we talked about it on Monday. Citizenship in heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So we talked about on Monday that Jesus came for three key reasons. He came to restore Israel. That was all part of, that's all part of that restoring Israel. The reason he's reaching out to the, the hurt people and the, what we call the marginalized people is to restore Israel. Establish a new covenant and initiate a new way of life. We're going to talk about that today. Um, and then he came to redeem humanity out from under the dark powers which manipulate and control them, which once again, Tim in our, in our, in our evening rally talked about um, the power of darkness, right? And, and that sin is not just um, something that you do. It's actually a power that has an effect on you. It, it, it can control you. And this is partly why you want to get it cleaned off because it's not just something that you do. It's this power. It's this thing that can suck you down a bad path. Um, 
So yesterday, we discussed how Christianity jumped from the Jews to the Gentiles. That was a big deal. What was the big takeaway you guys had from that yesterday? How big a deal it was? I'm sorry, over here. Circumcision, that's right. To be able to accept people into Christ who were, who were not circumcised. It is the most difficult, the difficult thing the church faced. Because once Gent Jews can accept Gentiles, well, that covers basically the rest of humanity. So what human can we accept? Anyone from any tribe. We will make it through it. Right, because we kind of have this imaginary golden age, right? Oh, I wish we could be like the early church. Well, imagine what that was like between 46 and like, you know, 55. They're trying to hammer this out. That was a tough time. So we hinted at the reality of what religion meant to ancient people, and we discussed the relationship between culture and religious beliefs and practices. Does that sound familiar? That religion was not just a, a segmented part of their life. It was kind of a whole part of their life. Well, today we're going to take those issues further and deeper. We're going to deeper. We're going to deepen this. We're going to dig the hole a little bit more. Um, and it, it's actually going to be hard because the first thing that we're going to talk about is the dyadic personality. And, uh, and actually, my first episode in the podcast actually is this. So I'm going to give you only a very brief because we have to, a lot we got to cover. Um, what does it mean to be a dyadic personality versus what we are? We are individualistic people, right? We live in America. We all kind of champion individualism. Yay, right? You know, work hard, be responsible, um, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, right? This is kind of the thing that Americans talk about. This is individualism. And what it means is that you conceive of yourself, you think of yourself as a discrete individual unit separated from everybody else. And everybody else is mom, dad, grandpa, grand, right? That's, and so we think of ourselves as I'm my own individual and I have my own individual desires, my own individual feelings, my own individual thoughts, and, and this is key, and I have an obligation to be true to them. Does anyone disagree with this assessment so far? Okay, this is pretty American, so all of us should go, yeah, duh, like, this is exactly what human beings should be like, right? We're like, yeah, this is what Africans should be like, this is what Asians should be like. Matter of fact, we're trying to make the whole world like this. Great, not going to argue with that whole point at all. You can kind of try to make the whole world individualistic. Great, that's just not what the ancient people were. Ancient people were different, they were dyadic. What that simply means is, is I need other people in my life to tell me who I am, where I belong, and what my place is in society. I don't like it, I need it. It is a requirement for me to be able to function. Uh, some of us who are older, which, you know, to find out here, we're actually kind of all of us here. Some of us who are older might have grandparents, right, who talked about things like the Hatfields and McCoys, right? Why do those two families go at each other? As individualistic people, we look at the Hatfields and McCoys, we're like, Man, those people were so bad, they just killed each other just because they were Hatfields or just because they were McCoys, right? That's what we kind of think of, because ethics is individual. 
right? I have an obligation to do what is right and wrong according to my idea of doing it. Well, when you belong to a clan or a family, some of us who are older here should kind of remember our grandparents talking like this. When you belong to a clan or a family, your obligations to them go higher than what you think is right or wrong. You have to do what's good for the family. You have to do what's good for the group, the group that's protecting you, the group that's a part of you, right? Does this, anyone connecting with this? Anyone? That's a dyadic personality. Now, a dyadic personality takes that idea and it goes, I, I can't know who I am apart from other people. I need other people to help me find my place in the world. My place in this world. Remember that song from the 80s? Man, I just dated myself big time, right? Um, you need another person to help you find yourself. And um, how many of us have had parents or grandparents who said, for my case, it would be, Mike, you're a brown, and browns don't do that. Anyone had any, anything like that? Or you belong to this person, to this group, like this family, and we don't do that. This is what we do. We don't do that. That is remnants of dyadicness. In the dyadic world, they just told you, this is who you are. You're Jewish. You were born Jewish. I was Jewish. Your mother's Jewish. You're Jewish. This isn't a debate. And so you grow up not discovering yourself. You grow up trying to live up to the expectations of what it means to belong to that group. That's very different than our world today, right? Our world today is go find yourself, which actually is really difficult, like really hard. Well, what do we mean go find myself? Well, no, discover your bliss. What do you mean discover my bliss? Like, you know what I like to do? You're 17. I like to play with Legos when I was young, and now I like to take stuff apart. And I like to put stuff back together, kind of. I actually just take it apart better than I put it back together. But is it my bliss? I don't know what my bliss is. In the dyadic world, my dad was um, a shepherd. His dad was a shepherd. His dad before him was a shepherd. And I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm going to be a shepherd. I am who you say that I am. So I need other people to tell me who I am in this world. Now that sounds to us Americans like what? If you were trying to describe this to a, specifically a non-Christian friend, what would you hear? Boring. Boring. Oppressive, right? Because I have to, the whole point of being a human being in our world is to express your own inner desires. Whether it's a good thing, bad thing, right thing, wrong thing, not even relevant. Because that's not the world that's running around in Paul's day. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, the whole idea was to belong to a group, to be connected to a group, and to be recognized as a good member of the group. Remember how we talked about belonging? Why do you want to be recognized as a good member of the group? Because that guy gets the benefit of the doubt. Right? That guy gets, when you're going through the list of people we got to fire, right? Someone's got to eat it. Someone's going to have to get booted out. What are we going to do? Well, we'll fire the guy who least fits in. At least that's what we hope, right? The reality is the bosses go through a list and go, oh, that guy, right? And what's it do to all of us? It makes us feel insecure. It makes us not feel secure about our place in the world. It makes us not feel like, it makes us feel like at any moment, what? The axe can drop on me and there's nothing I can do about it. So no matter what a good person I am, no matter how well I've contributed to this country, company, right? 
I can get it, and there's nothing I can do about it. You think that fosters belonging? No, it does not foster belonging. Now, it makes our society go, yes, but it's fair and just. You know, that guy's been here for 18 years. You've been here for 18 years. And you're like, yeah, but that guy does this and this and this and this and doesn't do this and this. Right? And we all go, he doesn't deserve to stay. The whole group goes, yeah, he doesn't deserve to stay. But the boss says, he stays and we're going to fire you. It doesn't give, that really doesn't build a sense of belonging or community. Real communities have criteria. They have selection. They have, you have to perform or you're not going to be a part of the group. Why? Well, because they didn't have endless, boundless reams of money just pouring in. You have to conserve your wealth, conserve your resources, and you're only going to share resources with somebody who belongs. That's what, that's why, and so everybody knows this, and so this is why you take your own inner desires and you repress them inner desires. And what's the reality? They're not inner desires. They're momentary fleeting ideas. How often, right? How often have we pursued things that we ran into the ground and then we found out we really didn't want that after all? Then really was it a desire or was it a fleeting momentary thought or passion or emotion? No one else has had that experience? Yeah, right? Well, the ancient, world, the ancient world just said, yeah, repress that. You belong here. You don't go pursue those things. You do what I tell you. Now, we're all going, oh, that's so awful. That's just the ancient world. It's really not your choice or my choice, whether it's good or bad. It's what was. So that is what it meant to belong. And what they belonged to, in the ancient world, most people belonged to a polis. Okay, so you've heard that word before, right? Metropolis, Indianapolis, it just means city. That's all it is. A polis is the Greek word for city. So what happened was this, is that when you were a part of a city, you were a part of a family, right? That family was part of a clan. That clan was part of a tribe or a group or something larger, and then you belonged to a city. Very much things like that. And they actually worked with what we would call stereotypical things. They worked on stereotypes because you actually wanted to live up to stereotypes, right? Boy, those Romans are hard-disciplined people. Darn right they are, and I'm one of them. Let me show you how disciplined they are, right? You want to you be the ideal. And so stereotypes are actually what you wanted to encourage, and you wanted to live up to them. Well, they, they centered on the polis. So your identity was not in your own personal ideas about things. Your identity was what the city needed to be able to survive. What kind of qualities do we need as a city for us to be able to survive? Well, I know what we need. We need a lot of people not working. That's how our city will survive. We need to take money from wealthy people and give it to people who are not working and let them continue to not work because that is how our city will survive. Is this what they said? No. Do you know why? Because it's, it doesn't work. It's ridiculous. That's not what they said, right? They had their each individual qualities that were in each cities, and they said, these are the gods of our city. These are the gods that we worship. These are the practices that we have. These are the celebrations that we're a part of. And so if you're a part of that, you have an obligation. You have an obligation to serve the city, the polis. And the word city, polis, 
is actually built into politiumai. That's a real funny word, right? Politiumai. Well, we're going to learn it because politiumai is citizen. Somebody who belongs to a city. And by some random weird chance, guess what word Paul uses? That's the word he uses for citizenship. It's a person who belongs to a community. It's a person who belongs to a city. And that city is not just, this is happening. For us, it's like, I happen to live in Sebewing. Well, if you live in Sebewing, it's kind of defining, right? Because I grew up in Warren, Indiana. And you're like, yeah, I'm from Warren. And that told you all you needed to know to anyone who was within the surrounding 50 miles, right? For people who live in Sebewing, and you go, I'm from Sebewing, everybody for the surrounding 50 miles goes, oh, you're always getting rained on, and you always got the river right there, and you're getting flooded half the time, right? And you're high on sugar for like 30 days of the year, right? Come on, that was a good joke. Got the sugar factory right there. Not the way it smells. That's what my daughter was telling me. I got this head thing, so I'm not smelling anything. But uh, Yeah, I, so I'm not smelling it. But do, do you know what I'm talking about? Everyone in the surrounding area knows what it means to belong to that city. Well, just take that idea and ratchet it up tenfold. I'm from Thessalonica. That means I'm a Thessalonican. And so it comes with it a whole series of expectations. You're going to behave this way. You're going to worship these gods. You're going to live this kind of life. That's what it meant to be a to be a, a citizen, and you wanted to be recognized as a good citizen. Do you know why? Because a good citizen gets the benefit of the doubt. You get the help. You get people who come and aid you when you are having tough times. And by the way, what's tough times? Your crops failed. That's a tough time. You have six children. Your crops failed. You now might have to sell your youngest daughter into slavery for the other five to live. That's what failure looks like in the ancient context. And so you want to be recognized as somebody who's a good, upstanding member of that community. Because if you're not a good, upstanding member of that community, when your crops fail, guess what? You have no help. And so you want to be known as someone who's a, you have this at work, right? Hey, that's Mike. He's a good guy. Do you know what you're really saying? He's a reliable, well, it used to be this. He's a reliable person that you can trust and rely on who's going to help you when you need it, and so he's worth your time and investment. Now what it kind of means in our culture is Mike's a good guy. I like him. That's really all it means. It used to mean a very specific thing about a person and their relationship to other people. Now it just, because we're so individualistic, it's like, I like him. I know he beats his wife and shoves his children downstairs, but he's a really likable guy when you get him about three beers in. Come tell me I'm wrong. Not right? I mean, that's what it is. In the ancient world, it, it meant a very specific thing. He's a good citizen in our community. He's a good person that you can rely on. He belongs. Okay? So when Paul is talking about citizenship, he has this language built in of a city to which you belong and a city to whom you have an obligation to and they have an obligation to you. For us, citizenship is, man, when I'm over in, in, in Russia and I decide to bring pot into Russia, those, those people better help me out of my jam, right? Not thinking of the fact that you're an American bringing pot into a foreign country, and how does that look? No, no, no consideration of that. It's you get me out of my jam because I'm an American citizen. 
by golly, I paid taxes, so I get all of the benefits and almost none of the responsibilities. None of it. I'm not even saying that to condemn her. I'm just saying, like, that's just the reality. It doesn't have to be that kind of pot. It can be a person who goes to, to, to France or Saudi Arabia or anywhere. It can be any of us who go anywhere and say, hey, I'm an American. You can't do that to me. Right? It's our ideas of citizenship is I get and I give very little back. I give very little back. This is how it worked in the ancient world. To belong, to be a citizen, meant you had to exhibit the kind of lifestyle that was consistent with belonging to that city. And everybody kind of evaluated you. And you were kind of evaluated in a very organic way. They didn't have little forms that said, pay those taxes. Like, that's not how it worked. You were evaluated relationally. Do you know him? Yeah, I know him. He's all right. His dad was this guy and this guy and this guy. His grandfather was this guy who won that battle. Oh, he's an important guy. We'll give him benefit of the doubt. You see how that works? So turn with me to Philippians 1.27. This is going to be weird, so hold on to your hats. I know it's been hard so far, but this is going to get even more funner. Is that a word? More funner? They just betray my non-college professoriness. All right, Philippians 1.27. By the way, I, I have to do this. I'm sorry. No matter what happens, live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Christ. Now, there's nothing in there that would make you uh, go, oh, well, Mike, that's really consistent with what we've been talking about, right? Because the word citizenship is just not there. Let me give you a three-minute three Greek digression. The word politeumai is in there. It doesn't get translated that way. It's in the original Greek, and it's all part of the Greek language, and it's actually all part of the Greek thought world. But it's actually in there. If, you wanna, if, you, if this is your Bible, you can grab a pen, and you can underline it or circle, it, circle these words. Live in a manner, or live in a manner, or live in a way... That brings. Underline all of that or circle it or star it or I don't care what you want to do. That is the word politiumeste, which is the passive or middle, middle passive word of politiumai. Now, the, the way I'm, they would translate it would be this. Live citizenly. Now, we don't have a real, like, that doesn't translate very well to us. Because citizenly to us means what? Pay your taxes? Right? Right? Vote, maybe, right? For them, it meant live up to the standards of the community to whom which you belong. Now, the word worthy is actually its own separate word. Akios. But the way can live your life, what are some versions of that, of that phrase that you guys have in your Bibles? We have 30 different Bibles in here. What are some different versions of that? Okay, so conduct yourselves in a way. That is Paulus to you, they. What, what did you guys say back there? Oh, there it is. So the, this, the word is right there. That's, they've actually given you a good translation, but our understanding of citizenship is very different. Anyone else? What's another version from Philippians 1.27? Let your conversation be as, a, as becoming unto the... That's an interesting translation. Um, conversation does really, not, does really not cover what that thing is saying. 
I, I actually like that version back there is a much closer and more accurate version. Conduct yourself as a citizen. Um, conduct yourself is built into the word. Live your life in a way that is citizenly. Any other versions that we want to kind of spill out there? Connie, you got an interesting version? I know, I know, I know. We live in that world where you're like drowning in information. But what they're doing is that's a hard word to translate from our cult, from, from Greek into English because we don't have that very well. But what it means is, is that you are supposed to live as if you are a citizen. Well, what citizenship are we living in relationship to? Where is our city? How come Paul is using this language of citizenship and belonging and connectedness? Um, actually, that's exactly what he talks about. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we await a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he, All of that is connected with that. Christianity was not a doctrine of beliefs about how you think about Jesus of Nazareth. That is not what was going on here. What they believed they were is they literally believed they had become citizens of a different place. And for us, the word ethics is not helpful. Because for us, the word ethics has to do with doing right and wrong no matter what the situation is. That's kind of what we think of the word ethics. Follow the good and not the bad. Well, who says what is good and who says what is bad? Where do we get that list from? Our world, by the way, right? Our world says you should do the right thing no matter what. Okay, well, what's the right thing? Depending, well, okay, depending on the world you're listening to. The laws, the Bible, we're living in the results of that language, okay? Right now, we're living in a culture that can't figure out good in whose eyes, bad in whose eyes. Because if you read the scriptures, homosexuality is an issue that doesn't sound like it's good in God's eyes. You live in the world's culture, they're going to say, well, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. How could love be anything but good? This is the whole problem with ethics, okay? You have to have an agreed-upon definition of good and evil to make that work. And guess what we have systematically done in our culture? Nuked that idea. No one has the right to tell me what's good and evil and right and wrong. Nobody. So I get to determine for myself what's good and evil and right and wrong. Well, then how do you know what ethics is? Well, I live by my own standard. Well, that's real good. What do you think the serial killer's doing? Right? Like, what do you think he's doing? Do you think he's going, I know, <laughs> I'm going to be evil. No, nobody does that. The Nazis didn't think they were evil. Nobody goes, I know, I'm going to deliberately do evil. They all have justifications for why they're doing what they're doing. Those guys who go into schools and shoot up schools, right? The guy who went into, what was that, that one in, uh, was it, uh, Colorado, the guy went in and he shot up the, the school full of little kids, right? Because he had been bullied. Hello? You don't think that's a form of bullying? Like you're just passing it on? Well, yeah, but I can. He justified in his own mind why it was okay for him to shoot up a whole school. Because why? Because he had been bullied. He didn't think he was doing evil. He thought he was paying back what people deserved. That's what he thought in his mind. And we all go, well, that's nuts. Uh, no, it's not. It's not nuts when you live in a culture in which that's what we've told people. 
Since I was a young child, that's what we've been telling people. And surprise, surprise, a group of people start doing kooky things that we can't explain anymore. So in the ancient world, they didn't have ethics like follow your own good and evil. The idea was you do what the community says. Live as a person who is of Thessalonica. Behave Thessalonicaly. Behave Corinthianly. Behave Athenianly. And so the whole idea was to be a good citizen of Rome, Athens, Corinth. Like that was the whole idea. And that's what citizenship was all about. And nothing illustrates this idea better than discussing what Christianity was prior to being Christianity. Anyway, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, just like we talked about Paulus Tiumai, you guys are going to work on that, aren't you? You're going to go home and you're going to say, Paulus Tiumai. I'll, I'll show you. I don't have a way up here. I'll, I'll tell you how to, how to spell it if you really want to know that. P-O-L-Y. P-O-L-Y. If you really want to know. Um, U-E-S-T-H-E. It's poly, polytueste. That is the conduct yourself in a manner worthy. Polytumai is P-O-L-Y-T-U-M-A. Polytima. That's citizenship. Okay, so the word we're going to look at next is hodas. Can you say that with me? Hodas. You can't just say hodas. 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 It's a real easy word. It just means road or way. Path. Right? That's all it means. Hodas. Now here's the fun thing. We're going we're gonna to look at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine different times in the scriptures. But most eight of them are going to be in Acts alone. We're going to use this word chodas. So if you were to say, hey, how do you go from here to Detroit? Um, which chodas should I take? Right? That's what you'd say. Which road? Which path? And you go, oh, well, you know, it suddenly blanked. Uh, take 75. Is that what you do? So take 24 to... Straight down, is that going to, I don't want to take 75? Oh, it goes out of the way. Okay, so I'm going to take 23. You'd, you'd say, 24. You'd say, Mike, you take 24, and then you go straight till you hit the, the Ford building and turn right. Isn't that what you say? Does that sound about right? That's the hodas. It really is that simple. But it's not. Okay? Um, hodas was also uh, the word you could use um, in a metaphoric sense. It's the way you would live your life. Follow, and we use this all the time in, our, in ourselves, right? I'm following this path in my life. I'm following the path of love. Are they, is, there a, is there a road out there called love and that's the one that you're walking? What would our culture say if someone said that? I'm following the path of love in my life. Do you think they're really following a path called love? What are they doing? Well, you had to do guide to find love. They're following their feelings, right? And it's a way of using the word path in a way that doesn't actually mean a worn-out piece of ground. It's a way of saying, I live my life according to these sets of rules. Okay, well, I, I, would, I would argue we follow the path of Christ, right? And so we're following a way of life that's journeying along this path. Okay, that is the exact, that's how we use it all the time. That's exactly how it's actually used in Scripture. 
and you have to figure out which one they're using. When Paul was on the Hodas to Damascus, a light came down. They're not using that metaphorically, they're using it literally. It's a path, it was a road to Damascus, right? But there's other times that it gets used, and I want, to, I want us to talk about this. So, so we're going to be in Acts, and you're going to, we're going to flip fast, okay? So we're going to be in Acts, chapter 9. We're going to do this quick, because if, we're, if we don't do it quick, we're going to be here for like ever. And you guys don't want to listen to me for forever. <laughs> All right, Acts, chapter 9. Verse 2, he, uh, this is Saul. Actually, we'll start in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul continued to oppose the Lord's followers. He said they would be put to death. He went to the high priest, and he asked the priest for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He wanted to find men and women who belonged to the way of Jesus. That is hodas. It means path. But it gets translated here as the way. It's an accurate translation. Okay? The way of Jesus. Acts chapter 13, verse 10. So just two... Pages over. Saul, uh, also known as Paul, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked at straight at Eliamus and he said to him, You are a child of the devil. You are an enemy of everything that is right. You cheat people, use all kinds of tricks. Won't you ever stop twisting the right ways of the Lord? Acts chapter 16, verse 17. So just a few pages over. One day while they were going to the place of prayer, on the way they were met by a female slave. She had a spirit and helped tell people what was going to happen. She earned a lot of money for her owners by doing this. She followed Paul and the rest of us around. She shouted, these men serve the most high God. They are telling you how to be saved. Or the path, the way to be saved. Chodas. Acts chapter 18, 25, and 26. Apollos had been taught the way of the Lord. He spoke with great power. He taught the truth about Jesus, but he only knew about John's baptism. And he began to boldly preach in the synagogue. Priscilla and Aquila heard him, so they invited him into their home. There they gave him a better understanding of the way of God. Hodas. Acts chapter 19, verse 9. But some of them wouldn't listen. They refused to believe. In public, they said evil things about the way of Jesus. So Paul left them, and he took the believers with him. Each day they talked with people in the lecture halls of Tyrannus. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. At that time, many people became very upset about the way of Jesus. Acts chapter 22. Verse 4. I hurt the followers of the way of Jesus. I sent many of them to their desk. I arrested men and women, and I threw them into prison. Acts 24, 14 and 22. Acts chapter 24, verses 14 and then we're going to go to verse 22. It is true that I, the wor I worship the God of our people. I am a follower of the way of Jesus. These bring charges against me called a cult. I believe everything that is in keeping with the law. Skip down to verse 22. 
Felix knew about the way of Jesus, so he put it off the trial for some time, be, for, this, for the time being. Sorry, I messed up there. Last one, John 14, 16. Anyone want to take a wild stab at what this one's going to be? 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is what I'm talking about. Christianity was not called Christianity because they were first called Christians where? In Antioch. They were first called followers of the way. And what that means is, is it wasn't a doctrine. Now, I'm not against doctrine. You're gonna, you're gonna run out, if people are out of here go, Mike says he's anti-doctrine, you've got me all wrong. Christianity was not a doctrine. It was a way of life. It was a way of being in the world. It was a way of living. And it followed Jesus. Jesus' life was the way, which is why you had people who tried, even attempted to get themselves crucified because they believed Jesus' way of being in the world was the right way of being in the world. And this is where we have taken ethics and we've ripped it apart from faith and we've ripped our faith apart from community and we've ripped our ethics apart all of these things are all separate ideas to us for the early church they were it was just simply the way this is the way you live your life you love your enemies you don't hate them you pray for those who persecute you you don't spit at them you are righteous you are not unrighteous well, where we're at today is it's all kind of muddied with all of this crazy stuff we've got going on. For followers of Christ, it just meant Jesus' way is the right way, and I'm going to follow it. Not believe it, follow it. I'm going to live my life that way. Jesus initiated a new way of being in the world, and this was literally called the way. And that way has kind of been lost because we drowned it all out with making sure that your doctrine was correct. Now, I'm not against doctrine. I am Methodist. I'm an Armenian. I believe in free will. I believe in holiness. But believing those things is not what Jesus wants out of us. That's actually very not very interesting to him. What is interesting to him is following the way of holiness living the way of holiness, being a person who lives his way. Um, now, how did this get received by the early church? Well, interestingly enough, a guy by the name of Justin Martyr, around the year 150-ish, writes a, a, a treatise called Dialogue with Trypho, and this is what Justin Martyr says. He said, I was a philosopher, and I searched all of life. I was trying to find the truth. Now, we're going to take a brief break here. A philosopher then is not a philosopher now. They're, they had different goals, different objectives. Philosophers now basically play around with logic and tell you if your arguments make sense or not. That's basically what a philosopher is today. Does your argument work or does it not work? That's a philosopher. A philosopher in the ancient world was somebody who was pursuing the truth about the universe and trying to live in accordance with that truth. That is very different than somebody who plays games with logic to tell us if our, if our 
ideas are logically consistent or not. So when Justin Martyr says, I searched all these different philosophies, he's not talking about how I think about the world and whether it's logical or not. He's saying, I tried these different ways of life, these different ways, these different philosophies of life. And then he said, and then I ran across Jesus of Nazareth. And I found his life, I found this philosophy to be the most compelling. And so I have become a follower of Jesus like a follower of a philosophy. That's what Justin Martyr says in 150. Jesus was not religious. Jesus was a philosopher who was teaching people how to live in the world and how to follow the right way. All of that has just been lost in religious language. A religious ease has kind of buried all of that very, it's, it's actually a very compelling idea, really. If you're a Christian, you're saying, I want to follow Jesus, not doctrinally, but with my life. I want to be like him. I'm trying to follow him. So I try to implement. Now, can I live like that? I don't know. Jesus is kind of the ideal person. If we lived like him, I think most of us would go, man, I'm doing pretty good. Failing at living like Jesus is still pretty good, right? Because of how good he is. We, no one looks at Jesus and goes, he messed that up. Very few people look at that and say, Jesus failed. Because they look at that life and it just screams authenticity to us. And so what we've done the past 500 years is we wanted to make sure we weren't Catholic. And so we had to make sure we got all the truth right. And truth was not something you lived. Truth was something that you believed or knew. And we separated that from our life. And so we can have preachers who stand up in front of congregations and preach the truth, but live like cat dung. Right? It's not their fault. They live in a whole culture and a whole religious thing that has taught them that it's okay to not, to not have your life line up with what it is that you're preaching. But that is not what the early followers of Christ said. They said, Jesus is the way, and I'm following his path. And that's not a path of success. It's not a path of a five-level home with 30,000 feet. Right? How does it end for him? Yeah, crucified, dead. And that's a pretty nasty death. So you have, and here's the funny thing. That's so funny. I've decided to become a Christian, so I go to work, and all those mean non-believers, they just called me names. And, and they made, and I lost my job? God, how could you do this? Well, let me tell you something. You decided to pick up the way of a guy who got murdered and crucified in public, naked. What did you really think was going to happen? You decided to follow him. Did you really think it was going to be a bed of roses where they, you had little, little women with tambourines sprinkling flower petals in front of you going, you get to go to heaven now? You picked up the mantle of a crucified man. Did you really think it was going to be easy? And yet, how many people go, God wouldn't do this to me, right? My daughter got cancer. My kids got sick. My husband died of this. My wife died of that. Why would God do this to me? Well, why did God do that to Jesus? All of that is just lost on us. Because we don't think of following Jesus means following his way. You have picked up the way of a crucified Jew. Now, here's what Paul says. If we have died with Christ, we will be raised with Christ. Christ didn't stay in the grave. 
He did not stay dead. And so what we hope is that if we go through the trials and the tribulations of life in a way that is consistent with Christ, we too will be raised. That's the beauty of it. Okay, so I've got to embrace the hard thing of life so that I can receive resurrection at the end. Is that worth it? And that's the trade-off you have to decide to make. Is it worth it? Is it worth following the path of Christ, which he told, seriously people, he told us, the world's going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. Surprise, they hate you. Wow, how shocking is this? What we're used to, however, is living in a country where we get to call the shots, and things go our way. And we've kind of felt entitled that this is the way it should always be. We're entitled to never have anybody hurt us or persecute us. Unfortunately, three-quarters of the world is not there. African Christians don't get to live that way. Chinese Christians don't get to live that way. Christians living in the Soviet Union for the 70 years that the Soviet Union was around, they didn't get to live that way. South American Christians don't get to live that way. How many, how many have heard about those communist Sandinistas down there? They just murder people willy-nilly. They're just going, Jesus has got a mansion for me over in... Uh, you know, El Salvador, I'm going to go live there. No, like they're suffering and dying too. It's just now our turn. It's our turn. And we can either buck up, suck it up, and say, this is what I signed up for, and kind of own it. Hey, let's do this. I signed up for this. Jesus got murdered and butchered and got called all kinds of names. I don't think I'm going to get much better. Own it, and you will be surprised how resilient that will make you in the face of suffering. Absolutely. Poly two este, live it a lot, live the life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. All of us, we do this together. Not me. I don't do poly two este. I can't. We do it together. What are your thoughts on this? We've got uh, a few minutes left. How, what do we? I know I dumped a lot on us. The way hodas poly two este. There's a lot there. Um, I'm going to let you, let's, let's process that out loud a little bit together. I think you're dead on right, Connie, that this isn't something you can do by yourself. And does Jesus encourage us to do this by ourselves? No, 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 he doesn't. He says don't do this by yourselves. What's he say? Love one another. What are some of the thoughts that this has provoked within you? Speak about that a little bit more. I'm interested in that. That we would recognize the fact that we need each other and we have to have faith togetherness that as we have encouragement. I agree with that. How many has figured out pretty quickly that Zoom ain't cutting it? 
Connie and Steve were in our life group. Uh, right? They're going to remember this. For, the, I think, the first six months, we tried to meet via Zoom. We tried to play games via Zoom. And um, I'm amazed. You, you actually don't just read this much of a person. Like, this, like, how much of your body language, like you, present, you being sitting in this chair, your legs crossed, your hands like that, that matters. Did we figure that out during COVID? Right? But you're, you're dead on, right? COVID really, Zoom was great, but man, it exposed how physical we really need everybody. I don't just need your face and a voice. Like, I need you. You're dead on right. Other thoughts? Anything else jumping out at you from Polistiumai um, to Hodas? You learned two Greek words today. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Rome both murdered Jesus and created the conditions for Christianity to spread. So Rome's like this double-edged sword. Any other thoughts on some of this? What is what is this kind of provoking in you? Or maybe liberalism. How's that? What's the two-edged sword part about? How's it helping us? Yeah, and it's okay. I mean, you signed up for this, right? Do you think Peter, when Jesus said, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, and he threw the net on the other side of the boat and all those fish came in, do you think he said, Jesus is going to ask me to follow him. I bet I'm going to get crucified upside down. Let's go! <laughs> you think that's what Peter said? No! You know what Peter said? That's the Messiah. We're going to kill a bunch of Romans. Let's go! That is exactly what Peter thought. Because that's what the Messiah meant to the Jews. We're going to kill a whole bunch of Romans and we're going to kick them all out. And, I'm going to, and I am going to be at the top dog. I'm going to be to the right-hand man of the guy who's going to be the top dog. And then Peter goes, well, this isn't what I signed up for, right? When Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. Like, all of us, every one of us sign up under Jesus, not under false pretenses, but under this idea of what can you do for me? Fix my problems, fix my heart, make this problem go away, make me feel better, get me out of this depression, get me out of this funk. And Jesus says, okay, but I'm calling you to discipleship. I'm not calling you to an easy life. Right? And we kind of learn as we grow, we're like, oh, this isn't about me having a good time and a skateboard and a nice big 30,000 foot home. I thought that's what I was signing up for. And that's when people drop out. I can't take this. This isn't what I thought I was getting. Well, welcome to the deal. You think 
Peter signed up for that? You think Paul signed up for that? No, Paul didn't get blinded and go, next thing's going to happen to me, I'm going to get beheaded in Rome. That's not how this worked. He was confronted by the power of Christ and couldn't do anything other than accept it. Anyone else? Thoughts? Comments? Statements? Beliefs? Questions? Ideas? Oh. What do you guys think of that? Did you hear the question? He said when he was talking about the parable of the four of the of the seeds, when Jesus was talking about the seeds, some fell on the rocky path, some fell on the thorny ground, some fell on the good ground. He said, could that be at the root of this idea of the way? What do you guys think? Right, but this is how language always works. It always works in context. The fertile soil is. Yeah. Yes. really, have you ever, ever read the story about the fish and the loaves? This is a great story because Jesus deliberately tries to tick those people off. Like seriously, he deliberately offends them. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Jesus didn't have to say that. He didn't have to say that at all. He could have said any other teaching that he wanted to teach. Any one of them. Love your neighbor. Hand that fish to the neighbor next to you and give him a hug and tell him how much you love him. He could have said that. Right? Have you ever thought of that? Jesus deliberately said, be a cannibal, which to a Jew was what? Reprehensible. Jesus was deliberately trying to tick them off. That gives us a different spin on Jesus, doesn't it? He's deliberately trying to provoke them to go, I don't want a part of this. This is weird. Good. Go on your way. He, looked, he turns to his disciples and says, what? Oh, he says, you're going to go too? Remember that? He looks at them and says, are you going to leave me too? And they said, what? You, who else has the words of life? So he kicked off everybody. Now, there's reasons for this. Um, large groups of Jews following preachers for days on end had a tendency to attract Roman attention. <laughs> had a tendency to get Roman ears kind of going, oh, what's that guy teaching? Oh, they're all gone now. Don't worry about it. But that's something you can pick up in my podcast. Anyway, so we're done for the day. Um, I know we're out a little early. Yes? Um, Christians, as you said, were you know, not always appreciated and persecuted. Yes. Yes. And so he had to definitely be involved in culture. Absolutely.
That's a great question. Man, I really wish if you had about five more hours we could talk about it. Let me just say this real, real, real fast. Real fast. Early Christianity spread along trade routes. They, Paul went to the big major metropolises, and that's not an accident. I have 10 minutes, okay. So uh, Christianity spread along major trade routes. Ephesus was the third largest city in, this, in, in the Roman Empire. Okay, Alexandria was another one, was actually the largest, and then it was Rome. So it went uh, Alexandria, Rome, Ephesus. Paul goes to Ephesus deliberately. They're going there to kind of get people saved, and from out there, people are going out. Christianity actually spread first along trade routes. And they didn't go with professional missionaries. Well, they did have them. You, you find that in the Didache, it talks about professional evangelists. But, um, uh, and Paul talks about other people who are spreading it around a lot. Um, but mostly it was spread by ordinary, everyday people who were going to different cities. And I wish I could go down the path because this is what I study. So there's so much more, there's, there's so much more to that, that question. We can just kind of keep pulling out and then you'd fall asleep and your dentures would fall out and I'd have to explain it to your, to your kids. But um, it's a great question. They, the, the tent makers were a, a, a large majority of the people who spread Christianity. It was spread by accident, uh, specifically in the second and third century. There were evangelists. Um, uh, they did do those kinds of things, um, but the church got real wise to um, hucksters. And in the Didache, they actually have a, a requirement. If the guy stays longer than three days, he's a huckster, chuck him out. That's literally what they said. And they said this, if he stands up in front of your church and asks for money, chuck him out. So that should give us a real interesting spin on how maybe we should be treating our traveling evangelists. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying that's what the early church did is they figured out real fast people were doing this for the money. And so they were like, if he stays longer than three days, he's a problem. Send him on his way. So fun stuff. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for all that you give us. Lord, we want to be followers of your way. We want to we take your teaching seriously. We want to take your life seriously. We want to take what you have done in us seriously. Lord, help us to be followers of your son. He is the one who shows us what it means to really be human. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. We ask that you would help us to become alive in that. We love you. We praise you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. I know I got out early, but I felt like I was...